Hello, and welcome to the Data Point Podcast, the podcast where we talk about how data and analytics is being used to drive innovation in healthcare. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and today's topic is open data. What is open data? Has that definition changed over time? Who's the data open to? All these questions and more will be answered by our guest today, who is a gentleman that many of you will know by reputation, if not in person. He is the Chief Technology Officer at CareSet Systems, Fred Trotter. I had a chance to sit down with Fred a couple of weeks ago at the Health Equity Hackathon in Austin, and he had a lot of great information to share. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Fred, we have been, for the last couple of days, in a relatively small room with a relatively large number of people um, who are really trying to figure things out from a health equity perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about this event and how you came to be associated with it? So um, the event was born out of a conversation that I had with Mona Siddiqui at HHS about uh, the series of uh, hackathons that HHS was putting on and has done. They've been very successful about uh, the opioid crisis. And we wanted to do something in Austin, something that was could be connected with uh, the tissue that is South by Southwest, which there's a lot of health tech innovation here. There's a community here that we wanted to tap into. And we wanted to start looking at not only the opioid crisis, which is the kind of the, the from HHS's perspective, is the tie that binds several of these hackathons as a series together, but also the role of opioids specifically in and, and addiction in, in health equities and health equities more generally. And South by Southwest actually provided that framing. Um, I think that is the way they look at the world. And it, it's interesting, you know, the term uh, health equities. You know, I think Robert Johnson calls it a culture of health. Mm. And in some senses, I like, you know, I, I'd like both terms for different reasons, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. And I, I have to be honest, you know, we, you know, I am the co MC, uh, uh, Dr. Tony is the other MC and she is the expert on health equities and I am the tech, uh, expert, but the, there's a, there's trends that are troubling in general in health tech, which is there are some cases in which tech in general and sometimes health tech is providing, well, is doing things that don't help from a health equities perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, and it's really interesting to talk about the impact of Uber. Uh, Is Uber overall, in in, in terms of social justice and these kinds of um, um, equitable culture, is it a positive thing or a negative thing? Is is Uber taking advantage of its drivers? Is, you know, Mm -hmm. how are they working with unions? And then on when you think about it, so and I don't want to answer those questions. I don't know the answer to those sure. questions. But at the same time, if you turn around and say, well, now Uber is going to be delivering patients potentially, and 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 you start to get into these really complicated combinatorics of the interactions between let's make everyone able to live their best lives, which is a good good way to talk about health equity and not having uh, discrimination based on some arbitrary characteristic where some people are just permanently disadvantaged in their healthcare. Yep. And and how can tech be a force for good? Absolutely. And it's really it's um it's interesting to to sort of back up for a second. Um you're one of the guys that helped me to get a start in this business. Uh and we started working together six years ago or so uh as Dotgraph was becoming a thing. And I'm curious you know, as somebody who's worked in health data, 
for a long time and been a leading voice there. Why is health data and health analytics such an important part of the health equity question? Well, so, you know, it's, there's one central strategy for addressing health equities that the data is the only thing that works with, and that is the, the quality of sunlight providing improvements on, on things. The mm. sunlight, the reason the Sunlight Foundation is called the Sunlight Foundation. And so transparency has a profound impact. Uh, there are problems that we have only because we have not shined the flashlight on them. And data, specifically the kind of data that we do, which is open data and data that is, um, you know, it's interesting because I have been an advocate for, for open data. And of course, the dot graph was a data set that we released. You mentioned, thank you for plugging that. <laughs> Always appreciate that. But that is now a, uh, a data set that is released uh, by CareSet Labs again, um, which is a referral data set that is an open data set. And when I say open data set, I think there, there's confusion. I don't mean free, costless, you know, all this kind of stuff. What, mm. what I really mean when I say open data is uh, healthcare data, which serves the patient as its primary beneficiary first. And we are... You know, CareSet is a, a vendor of healthcare data from the government. We are a middleman. We take data from uh, CMS and HHS and FDA and um, sometimes CDC and, and, and we resell that data um, and, and essentially order that data to be useful for, um, uh, uh, for people who need to consume that kind of information. Mm -hmm. and, and that's wonderful, but the, the way in which we are different is that as we do that, we are always uh, trying to, and a differentiator for us is we're always trying to find a way to have that, that, uh, that data do good for the patient first. And my criticism for, um, you know, I, Optum is a great example of a competitor that we have, and, and I really, really like what they've done with Optum Labs, and I think that's a perfect example of a reconciliation of the obligation to mm. provide a patient benefit that is different to the one that we found, but is still very valuable. Um, I think they are to be applauded precisely because while I do disagree with some of the things that Optum and Optum Labs might do, uh, they're at least doing something. And, and there are lots of competitors in the health data industry who, who make money on patient data and do not provide any kind of direct benefit. And for us, the direct benefit, the primary way in which we, uh, we provide uh, um, benefit to patients is to provide open data sets that are available liberally to researchers and people like yourself. So yeah. you started a business that leveraged um, uh, the DocGraph data set. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily central to your business. As I recall, you, you used it, but it wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily central. And there are dozens of companies that are in that position, some of which actually literally made the DocGraph data set the center. And yeah. so um, when there are businesses that start on open data, when there are research papers that are written on open data, when there are uh, hospitals that make decisions that are better about uh, what they're doing, when the healthcare system optimizes around transparency, every time that happens, mm -hmm that results in a benefit to a specific patient who ultimately contributed the underlying data or who didn't contribute like the underlying data is, is benefiting because some other patient did. That's right. So um, that is the basic reason why if you go, if you go to CareSet, uh, you know, you can pay us lots of money for data and that is encouraged. 
<laughs> uh, absolutely encouraged. But if you go to Kerasette Labs, you can pay us nothing or very little money and also get a huge amount of data mm. uh, that is intended for people to build businesses on and do analysis on and change the world with. And we put that, that's our first foot forward. And, and it makes complete sense. And I, I honestly, it feels good to sit here and be able to talk about open data in the way that you are because it feels like, um, you know, six or seven years ago, it, we couldn't even talk about it like that. Because if I remember correctly, the only reason DotGraph data saw the light of day when it did is that you were willing to spend time making Freedom of Information Act requests and sort of prying it from the hands of the government. Is that that's correct? And that's true. Right? We started out doing FOIA requests. And, um, and there was, you know, 18-month, two-year lags to our requests, huge lags. And it was just this fight back and forth. And in some senses... Um, not this is not the only reason why they did this, but the program under which we now access uh, uh, data was created in part because it just became clear that f the Freedom of Information Act uh, was not the right way to do uh, to create data sets that were gigabytes of data with with multiple millions of rows. Uh, that that was just not right. So now we operate under. Um, under a model where we go in, we do the analysis ourselves, we hand that analysis to CMS specifically. Mm -hmm. CMS approves that data and says, yes, you are honoring our privacy requirements. Um, and, and, then, and then they give us the data. It, it's amazing. We download now data on a scale where what, what used to take two years now gets done in a week. Um, and and the data sets are uh, we have several other data sets besides the the one the one we're famous for is the referral data set which mm -hmm. is a huge data set. We've also done some interesting analysis uh, uh, public data sets about how um, explicit referrals are made. We also have data sets uh, that are about how um, providers prescribe. You know, do they do they prefer fax? Do they prefer electronic prescribing? Um, it's frustrating, you know, to me because I think, in some senses, the business was built on this one simple data set that, that became so popular that we basically created a company to to harness and and just deal with that demand. Um, but now we have a bunch of data sets that are of similar complexity, and um, it's kind of like the band you go to, like you know. If you go see a band, what you want to hear is the great hits. You, you want to hear the sure. old songs. And, of course, the band's like, I want you to listen to my new track. I mean, I'm, I'm laying down some new stuff. Buy my new album. Right. But you've never heard that stuff, right? A band from the 1970s, 1980s. So that's kind of how I feel about my new data sets versus my old data sets. Um, but, you know, all the data sets are, are, are at scale pictures of how the whole healthcare system works that are frequently referred to. Uh, by researchers, you know, used for business, used by policymakers. Yep. We have had um, we've had agencies of government come to ask us for data because it's easier to get the data from us than it is to get it from uh, CMS directly. And I think I think it's just it, it, it's absolutely true. I mean, the, the, there has been a fundamental uh, um, moment of transparency that um, you know I think with another five years of this, we will. Um, I hope what will happen is that we'll start using this as a steering wheel for the whole healthcare system. Yeah. That this will be how we guide all of our decisions. And actually, at that point, let's uh, take a quick break. We're going to be right back with Fred Trotter, so stick around. 
Hey everybody, this is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the Touchpoint Media Network. And we are back. You are listening to the Data Point Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and we are here at the Health Equity Hackathon in Austin, Texas. Our guest today is Fred Trotter. We've just been talking about uh, access to data um, and the direction that that data is going uh, with Fred, his team, and his work. And I, you, you, you left us with something interesting there in terms of the new directions you've gone. You know, we we understand the greatest hits. Um, one of the things that, uh, as I was talking to Mona Siddiqui from uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, she mentioned that in the in that initial hackathon that they did around opioids, that they had incorporated roughly seventy different data sets and made those available. Uh, were you a part of that process? Well, I mean, I think actually that's that's the wonderful case to make about this. I had no idea they were doing that. I had no idea the, uh, the hackathon was going on. I had nothing to do with the hackathons, but one of the winning teams used our data set. Interesting. So, and and that's I think that's the promise, and that's the reason why there I, th- I think there's just so much power in open data. Is you don't have to ask me, you don't have to ask me for permission. I don't need to know what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a model where uh, people uh, people take those data sets and they uh, they have a life of their own that's independent of me. And again, that's the, you know, we do very well um, with our, our data sales. People come to us when they, when they want, when someone wants to understand what is happening in uh, Medicare, mm-hmm. we are, I, I, you know, for some customers, we are clearly number one. I think for many customers, we are either number one, number two, or number three. Um, and, you know, so we're, we're doing pretty well. We're, our business is growing and everything else, but it's not at the expense of, um, this underlying value proposition. And so we're pretty excited about it. We, we have, we really took a gamble, uh, I think four or five years ago by having a bifurcated business model it was not clear. The companies like MySQL and Red Hat had really well established that you can build a billion dollar business or I don't want to, we're not there yet <laughs> for the audience. For, for the not a billion dollar company. <laughs> Duly noted. Uh, but, um, but that you could have an open source business model where you were very generous with your intellectual property, mm. but yet extremely profitable and doing well from a financial perspective as well. And of course, MySQL was sold, and then Sun arguably was sold mostly because of MySQL to Oracle. So, sure. um, and then um, you know, Red Hat is the uh, uh, canonical example is the first you know billion dollar company on the stock exchange that is. That is open source based. But one of the things that I think that, that Red Hat showed is, is that when they make a billion dollars, I think they, they estimate that somewhere between 10 and 100 billion dollars worth of fat that was in an industry has to come out, yeah. right? And I really feel like that's our role, right? So we make money by making things easy 
that either used to be impossible yep. altogether, yep. or we make things affordable that used to be extremely expensive. And, and so when the cost of data goes down, uh, which is basically what we, we do, we make the cost of data goes, go down, or the speed of data accelerates. In some cases, people are working with us because we're faster, or it's easier to work with, right? It's just easier to call us and get somebody on the phone and say, we will call you back and we will get you what you need. All of those things end up creating a liquidity and that liquidity pays a kind of a dividend yes. back to the original patient who contributed the data, right? And, and the, the problem I have with, and that actually happens with when, when we sell a data set uh, and when we open a data set, you have both of those effects, right? Because many people come to us and say, your open data set is not really what we need. We need a little bit something different. We, we need, we're trying to solve this problem or that problem, and we really understand this aspect of how physicians work or maybe what hospitals are doing in this area or mm -hmm. maybe how ACOs are working in that particular way. And your current open data set gets us, I don't know, 70% of the way, but that extra 30%, we really need help with that. In both cases, the basic business model is is to ensure that some business somewhere knows how to approach the healthcare system. And I, I don't think people understand outside of the healthcare industry how hard it is to just say, I have a better widget, I have a better needle, I have a better process or thing or something or idea or surgical, whatever it is you want to say is a better way to do something in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is really hard to crack into healthcare. Now, if you do, it's extremely valuable because healthcare is not one, you know, trillion dollar industry. It's multiple trillion dollar industries are kind of sisters. Sure. So it's extremely valuable if you can, but it's really hard to break in. And so one of the reasons why the pace of innovation in healthcare is so hard is that you just, you just don't know what to do. And if we can shorten something that would have taken four years for a company to a year, or, or connect a, a buyer with a seller on any level, yep. um, what that does is, is, is it's a kind of accelerant for innovation reaching into uh, a patient's lives, and that ends up being really valuable. And that's yep. precisely what CMS intends. When CMS allows for the commercialization with their data, which is a huge policy change oh, from yeah. 10 years ago, um, and there's multiple pathways that they allow that now, uh, what they are doing is they're saying to the industry, we are not going to do fee-for-service anymore. It's just a game where you figure out how to bill as much as you can. We say this is covered. The volume goes up. We say it's covered less. The volume goes back down. Mm -hmm. it is a, it's a dumb game, and everybody recognizes that's a dumb game. We're going to move to value-based care again. You know what you need with value-based care that you don't need with the kind of volume game that you're playing with fee-for-service is transparency. Yep. You have to know where patients are going. You have to know what works. And you have to know what doesn't work. You know, If you're going to say CMS, but not just CMS, this is, this is a case where CMS really does lead the other payers um, and, and provide a, a fundamental infrastructure that then other payers rely on. If you have the transparency and if you can see what's going on and if the industry has the information they know to guide things, then you can say, well, CMS, we're, we're, we are making you figure out just how to make people healthier, but we are providing you with the data you need in order to be able to do that. It used to be like we have this game where we use our data against you. We know what's happening. We can see the big picture at sure. CMS, and we're playing this game about fee-for-service. Well, rather than that, it's like, hey, let's, let's just 
we're going to stop that game altogether, both sides of it, right? So, so if CMS knows something, and if there is a player in the marketplace that needs to know that same thing in order to provide CMS and beneficiaries and Medicare and patients in general with the right outcomes, yep. then CMS in general has is going to give that data out one way or another. So how have you seen industry respond to that? Because I think data has been power for players in industry for a long time, whether we're thinking about payers, whether we're thinking about, you know, um, uh, EHR uh, vendors, whether we're talking about uh, manufacturers, have you seen industry respond in kind and recognize that that, that playing field, the, the, the game has been changed? Yes, and the, yes, we have. They have adopted it, they've embraced it, and it's been very similar to the cloud. So one of the things that open source did was create the cloud phenomenon, which is to say that we, we changed the model by which you access computing by so lowering the cost to this fundamental resource, and by lowering the cost adequately, what we do is create a huge amount of uh, of of solving problems that were not being solved before. And and it's the it's it's the hardest and most expensive things were already being done with data. If you could mm. if you could take a data set and sell it for a uh, hundred million dollars or ten million dollars or even five million dollars, those kinds of numbers would unlock data in the past, Yep. right? Uh, but now for prices that look like a million dollars or $500,000, which I know, you know as a human, those numbers still sound big, but for businesses, those are much more reasonable numbers. Uh, going down to $300 for a researcher, one of the things that yeah. we think about when we talk about for researchers is if it's not basically the same cost as a textbook, well, so first of all, there should be a bunch of stuff that's free. That's the first thing. The second thing is, if you're going to charge a researcher, it needs to be, you know, textbook is a nice good anchor for a price. $500 textbook feels a little expensive. $75 textbook sounds a little cheap, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, all the way from that order of magnitude scale, what that does is say, you have this explosion of usage yes. where it's just like, now we're going to consider using data to solve a bunch of other problems that... And we're going to answer questions that before we were just satisfied not to know. Sure. Right. And so that's, I think that's how things are changing. And, and the cloud did the same thing for computing. It's like, well, how much is it going to cost for us to calculate every single, you know, traffic stop and figure out the turning pathway for, you know, everyone who takes a trip? How are we going to like predict what the right pattern is to go across town? Well, the answer is now that's easy. You just throw that as a task to the cloud and you have computing doing that. So in healthcare data, we're seeing that same kind of revolution. So as that happens, and this is sort of tying us back to the beginning of this conversation around the concept of health equity and the health equity hackathon. As more and more of that data is becoming available, accessible from a, from a cost perspective, uh, or even just from you know, the fact that it exists in, in the public domain somewhere. What does that leave us as a gap then in terms of our ability to use it? Uh, and I asked that question thinking about the fact that, yes, there were some coders in the room this weekend. There were some data scientists in the room this weekend. How should the rest of us be thinking about the availability of that data in terms of the way that we approach our various solutions to healthcare? 
You know, it's an excellent question. Of course, as per always, once you get the really good questions, I don't really have an answer, (laughs) except to say that that's a really interesting organizational maturity question. You know, if your organization is craving raw data, which we sell a lot of that, sure, uh, it's because you already have the organizational competence to structure data, to link data, to perform ETL, to do data scientists. You've already got analysts. You have people whose job it is to sort these things out. And I think there are a lot of customers like that. And there's also a lot of customers who um, want the kinds of solutions that we provide where it's like, we do not want raw data. We want a search tool. We want to have an experience where we log in, we ask a question that's relatively narrow, and in five minutes we we kind of get the answer. And that's yeah. kind of like a Tableau-like experience. Sure. It's a great example. And of course, uh, you know, being an open guy, I want to use D3 in every place that everybody else says Tableau. But <laughs> of course, um, you know, uh, but the the value proposition is the same, where you're just saying, I just want the answer, and. And it's interesting because I, I you know, I, I'm, as now, let me criticize my own idea. It's not an organizational, uh, maturity issue. It's an organizational use case issue. We've had the same organizations come to us and say, we want this raw data for purpose X and we want this smooth interface for purpose Y. And so I really, I really think it's now that I'm considering it, you have to have some organizational maturity for data analysis to accept that raw data. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's a limiting factor. But I do think that there are some people who have very sophisticated analytical stacks that still want to just be able to quickly answer a question. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, that's what I've seen with many of my clients over the years, that in some cases, they know that they have the organizational capability to do data processing, but much like the government agencies that'll come to CareSet rather than go to their brother agency, they realize they can get it more quickly from an external source. And so if you can find out how to package those use cases properly, there's really a market for that, even in your more sophisticated organizations. Pretty interesting scenario. Mm. So as we close out here, Fred, I'm curious about your thoughts about the future of this health equity mission as it centers around Austin, as it centers around South by Southwest, as it centers around Dell Medical Center. What, what was it about all that that made you want to be a part of this? Well, you know, Austin has a tremendous capacity uh, for, um, for technical change. It really is a uh, of course, everyone competes with Silicon Valley in terms of technical innovation. Mm-hmm. But there's, if you think about the cities other than Silicon Valley that are generating uh, kind of incredible startups um, and and incredible technology expertise and and really focusing on on tech. And it's it's ironic because the medical school that you're referring to is named after one of the companies <laughs> that really put Austin on the map right. in terms of technology. You, you just have a lot of potential there. And I think the thing about South by Southwest specifically, and we, we really love South by Southwest. And of course, uh, we work uh, a lot with Brian Lang, who works with us for marketing, but he also has this um, uh, innovation program that he's running um, that, uh, that is, is centers around connecting people in the right way and then does a lot of work with South by Southwest to ensure that there's good healthcare tech content there. Yep. Um, when we look at that, we see that as a nexus and we're in Houston and Houston is another kind of nexus, yeah. right? Houston is a very good place to be running a health tech startup. We, we, we office out of the Texas Medical Center 
And if you take those things together, mm-hmm. you're talking about one car ride. And I love the Megabus connection between Houston and, and Austin. <laughs> As do I. Uh, and you're talking about really two sides of the coin. In fact, you can, you can almost think about that drive as a kind of transitioning between the two realms of understanding what is possible with technology and understanding what is possible with medicine. Yeah. And, and that shifting is really wonderful. And I think Dell Medical School is uh, forcing those worlds to collide in Austin. I think TMCX, uh, which is the accelerator program that we're a part of um, in, uh, in Houston, is forcing those worlds to collide. Yeah. And as you have that in, intermingling, I think Texas is going to be in a very strong place in general to do healthcare startups and, and technical innovation. And what I want to do is take the heat and the energy that that is burning off of these two cities and focus it on the very hardest problems that patients have. And yes. I think that the thing about health equity is, is you are talking about the people who do not necessarily have voices themselves. In fact, in many cases, uh, they are being discriminated against from a healthcare perspective. Um, and they don't even know. They don't, they don't even have the power to be able to see that. Right. So, um, and of course, sometimes they can absolutely see it and they're frustrated and they're angry and everything else. And, and, and they're, uh, and so for both of those types of audiences, those are really hard problems. And so in some senses, you could, if, you know, and I, I love the culture of health that Robert Wood Johnson calls the culture of health because it's a, it's a positive spin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I, 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 I have trouble kind of with, you know, my tendency to kind of be frank and, and, and brutal about problems. I kind of think about health equity problems. This is the list of problems that we shouldn't have. That's right. Right. These are the list of problems that are, it's very clear that there's a wrongness here. It's not just that someone had a heart attack. It's wrong that someone had a heart attack at that point in time. Yep. It's not just that someone didn't get a procedure or didn't get access or lost their job because of a healthcare event. They shouldn't have. And, 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 and those are the kinds of things where I, I don't know. It's, it's the, it, it, I feel like as I make this case about how data should be serving patients, yeah. um, it is the hardest, it's the hardest problems that we're talking about. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think technologists kind of have a hammer and look at the nail, but I think the other side of that coin is, you know, sometimes, uh, instead of thinking, well, I'm going to look at everything like a, a nail, you should think, I've got a hammer. What is the hardest and most difficult and most useful nail that I can put in? I think that's what health equity is for open data. I think that is a fantastic summary. Thank you so much, Fred. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate all the work that you've done here and the fact that you've been willing to sit down and spend this time with me. We've been talking today with Fred Trotter, the Chief Technology Officer of CareSet Systems. Uh, and until next time, we will see you on the Data Point Podcast. Thank you so much. This show is made possible in part by the Social Health Institute. Through research and partnerships with healthcare organizations around the country, the Social Health Institute explores new and innovative ways for hospitals, healthcare organizations, to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategy. To learn more about the Social Health Institute, visit them online at socialhealthinstitute.com. That's socialhealthinstitute.com. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health 
or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.